We are live. <clears throat> it is the season finale of Renters Radio. This, this is the last episode of the decade, people, um, as we've been doing this for many years, clearly. <laughs> so I'm your host, Lauren Pespiza, and look who decided to show up today. I am back. Evan George. Hello, hello. So you thought that season one was going to end with me dying, and then Ben was going to take over, but no. In the finale, I am back. He made his triumphant return. Yeah. Ben thought he could knock me off. Come on. Yeah, Just right. kidding, Ben. Love you. Did a great job. Yeah. Ben's Ben's the man. I think Ben's in France right now, so good for him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, he deserved it. Good yeah. Fan. That's awesome. Totally. So, but we're here in, uh, I guess we can say it now, New Alliance um, East, the building that may or may not be in a market basket. And we're here for our last episode of Renters Radio of the year, of the decade. Um, we have a lot to talk about tonight. We've had a bunch of things happen. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start off with a pretty terrible event that happened to us last night. Yeah, everyone has to brace themselves. So Lauren and I saw cats last night. I, and all right, what was your initial thoughts of it? And So I uh, roped Evan into seeing cats with me. I don't know why he agreed because I heard it was so terrible. I think it has an 18% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it just looks super weird. And I kind of only want to see a movie if it's bad, like bad enough to be good. Um, so we went and I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. loved it. There's like nine different things I'm disappointing like about that evening. You liking it was one of the best. <laughs> because see, I didn't like it for the same reasons that all the reviewers are saying they didn't like it. That's why I thought I was going to like it. Because they made it sound like it's this weird, like, cat fetish thing. It's, like, so bizarre and, like, cringeworthy to watch. You can't see it. So I'm like, oh, like, you know, take the right supplements, get in the right mindset. That could be right. a fun experience. But the movie itself, and I think this is the play's fault. It's just a bad play. The songs suck. They have nothing to do with the actual plot. There's no character development yeah, there is to any no of the plot. characters. There's no plot. Like Let's it, be honest. it has a there's a singing competition. The winner gets another life. If anyone complains about spoilers, please. <laughs> but they just sing about like their own names. Every single effing song is the character introducing himself. Uh, yeah. Except it's... for one, which was the only good song. Which what was the one you were listening to today? Oh, the memory song, the yeah. Jennifer Hudson song. And so that song is actually about something and conveys like you know. A motivation or at least it's not just her saying her name over and over again so anyway like, <laughs> the movie was more boring because of how bad the actual play is than it was anything about the cats um i thought it was actually so basically the first i think the first half hour to 45 minutes of the movie i just kind of sat there laughing into my hand thinking what the ever-living fuck am i watching right now because you had like rumor willis eating cockroaches that were dancing and which were actual people yeah like, they're anthropomorphic it it's it's maybe furries would enjoy it but um that was really crazy and cool plus the cats were like really sexy at first and that was kind of alarming and i kind of expected it to get like weirder as the as, a, as the movie went on but it kind of like petered out yeah the weirdness it, like once you got used to seeing it like that was not the big like minus of the movie was the, except for the, we can't tell if we saw the updated version of it yeah so i think we saw the patched version because um who was the cat oh, i'm trying to remember his name the one with the cape what's that actor's the, name the uh, i have to look one? it up nope not the magic one i have to do it right now because i actually just found out something about this uh this guy it was uh jason derulo jason derulo was uh rum tum something or other um 
I guess that they had to uh, CGI out his bulging package because they wear bodysuits to do that, like, ah. to do it. And they actually had to make him, they make his, you know, package appear smaller. I don't know why they would do that. I think that would have been a much better move to just leave it in. I mean, we also Yeah, that, that would have made the movie better. I would have loved it. Like, remember Labyrinth? Like, I love, you know, everybody loves that. So that's why you go to ballets, right? Um, but all the reviews are about how, like, horrific it is to see. The like, you get used to it pretty quick. Yeah, it got, yeah, it was it was really weird at first. Then you just kind of got used to it. And you know what? I actually thought the choreography was pretty good um, and expressive. And I like that part. But, you know, I also watch it from sort of a dancer mentality. Uh, the songs are not that catchy. Oh, Taylor Swift's song was so disappointing. Like, she really deserved a better song. Um, and... You know, it just, I was only disappointed that it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but I actually had a really good time watching it. You know, I just went with the flow after a while. I'm just so disappointed at the actual quality of the musical. You should have heard it. I thought, uh, I'm just like, this is like a Broadway play. Yeah, I don't think that, I I don't know if the play is very good either, to be honest. Um, It can't be at those other songs. But the only thing that was distracting about the animation was it seemed like their hands and their feet kept going one way or the other. So at some yeah. point, they would have clearly visible human feet. Sometime, the next time, it would then be visible human feet, but like with the animation fur over it. Right. And then the third time, they'd be wearing sneakers. And it kept like changing throughout yeah. the movie. Yeah, you notice that inconsistency a little more than I did. Um, but there, apparently that was like one of the big flaws with the movie and they had to release a patch, which we probably saw the patched version. Yeah, I really thought the cats were going to have nipples because I thought I saw in the preview they had nipples. They didn't have nipples. Like, what are we here for? Do actual cats have nipples? Cats on? have many nipples. But they're just under the fur, right? So you can't really see it? Yeah, I guess. But then they could have had the nipples in this and you just couldn't see it under the fur. I guess that's true. Though, yeah, then yeah, again, Rumor Wallace unzipped her like cat suit and had like a human body it, underneath. Like, it had, yeah, it had clothes on underneath. Yeah, it was weird. They, yeah, I, I think they figured out once they already made the film that like, oh, this isn't that good or funny. So like, they let her do like some jokes. That was yeah. Her part was one of my favorites because it was so weird. It was the only time there was dialogue and it wasn't just singing. It was also super weird because she was like eating things that were alive and had people faces, but. And, like, being really sexual about it. It was pretty fun. Uh, but, but I, yeah, you should have heard when the lights went on. Evan just stood up. He's like, oh, I'm, thank God it's over. And I'm like, no. But like, it's only because they keep teasing the ending. Where like, you think it's going to end. And then, like, it zooms out. And they, like, repeat the chorus that Judy Dench has said. And then it zooms right back in on Judy Dench's face. And she keeps making more lines. Yeah, cats that, are not dogs. That's when I thought I was going to lose it. Yeah, was... But somebody sent it to me today. Like, I guess it's based upon a book. And the book is about the different types of cats. I don't understand how there was a book that this could well, be based like, on. Well, like the book is like, oh, here's the train cat, and somebody read that and thought, I'm gonna do a nine minute song about a train cat, and then just had different types of cats. Yeah, but I just don't understand why that book exists. Because, like I said, we were actually going into it. We were gonna do like a political analysis uh, and socioeconomic analysis based on cats, and like you know, do a segment on it. But there was just nothing to work with. There was no plot. You can only argue that it's, uh, it promotes meritocracy and that you have to perform and only the people who perform the best of the shows are ones. If you want me to really reach, but honestly, yeah. I'm giving too, that's giving the creator of that too much credit. The yeah. musical sucks. Don't go see it. Go see Book of Mormon. Go see Les Mis. I don't know. If you're going to see a movie in theaters right now, I still actually say you should go see Cats. Make sure you eat your edibles first. Make sure you are the right level of intoxicated for it because it's, it's a fun ride. I don't know. I enjoyed it. 
Um, I like enjoyed it more than I expected, but I also see the criticism. It's definitely an objectively bad movie. See, so. I wanted to leave the movie theater and then tweet out the cast is better than The Irishman because I think The Irishman is way overhyped and not yeah. that good of a movie. And really well. But no, The Irishman is better than Cats. So if anyone was curious, The Irishman <laughs> is still better than Cats, even though The Irishman is not that good of a movie. Yeah, and you know, you've never seen Rocky Horror either. No. And so I, uh, hopefully this doesn't turn you off from weird cult movies because I feel like this is going to become one of those. But um, I don't know. Rocky got... Horror is better, so. God, I hope so. Yeah, in terms of musicals. Um, so yeah, there's that. There's Cats. We did it. We, uh, Never survived. again. Never again. Um, you want to go to a, speaking of Rocky Horror Show, you want to go into a rent a horror story? I have a rent a horror story Damn. lined up right pivot now. I'm looking right there. for, yeah, good pivot. See, I, I'm not rusty at all. Y'all thought I'd come back the first quarter, be a little shaky. I'm good. Right on. <laughs> um, playing better than Tom Brady did on Sunday. Am I right, people? Oh, God. Why'd you go there? <laughs> Brutal. He was floating so many balls. Horrible. Brutal. Um, okay. So let's see. This renter's horror story came to me. <laughs> Herb's diet over there. No, nah, Herb's pissed. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Renter horror story. All Come right. All right. Hang on. Hang on. Let me get this watch party started. Okay. <laughs> While Lauren does that, I can promote some of the gear. So um, I got this lovely orange bottle, bottle from Papa George, which can now Yay, disguise the bottles of beer we're drinking. So if Sam Adams wants us to promote your beer anymore, you're going to have to start contributing to our Patreon. No more free advertising. <laughs> yeah, that started too. Oh, yeah. Well, so nobody look at what I'm drinking, I guess. No, yeah, you got to keep yours off screen. Okay, cool. All right, so this came to me uh, today, uh, like an hour or two ago. Um, let me just pull it up here. From our friend Katie. We're not going to name the landlord or the last name, but it sounds pretty pretty alarming. Uh, let's see. Where do I start here? Oh, landlord horror story. Sure, what's up? Last week, we almost had an electrical fire because my landlord is too cheap to hire anyone to do things right in our apartment. Relatable. Uh, he replaced the carpet himself and stapled it into the wiring for the heater. So when we turned the heat on, it began melting our carpets underneath. I could smell it, but didn't know where the smell was coming from. Then last week at 4 a.m., we heard a loud explosion that sounded like zoom and saw a giant flash of light. I was awake lying in bed because I don't sleep. Uh, and it was loud and bright enough to wake er uh, Eric up. We were like, what the fuck was that? So we got up to investigate. We found burn marks on the wall and ripped up the carpet to realize what had happened. Good thing the carpet was fire resistant, but underneath is all black where it melted. Um, and so the landlord won't admit he did the carpet and stapled it into the electrical wire himself, but everyone in the building knows he never hires anyone to do maintenance and always does it himself. And, uh, you know, they were breathing in melted carpet for a few days before the explosion, which can't be good for you. Um, and, you know, basically it sounds like he he replaced it before they moved in did it himself staple stuff to the carpet and uh see the electrical surge broke the heater so he came over and replaced it and 10 feet of wiring himself which i also don't believe is entirely legal but we're afraid if we report him and the building is condemned while we're living in it then we will have to rush to find a new place to live our lease is up in six months and we're just going to wait because we're not trying to frantically move in the middle of winter 
Luckily, it was fixed fairly quickly, but seems like something breaks every couple of months. And when it does, the landlord fixes it himself in the cheapest way possible with very questionable methods and results. It sounds pretty dangerous to me. Um, would the building get condemned over that? I don't know. Who knows? I I'd mean, say don't pay your rent if your heat's broken. Um, <laughs> it's funny because, you know, everyone who rents, like, you have problems with your apartment. Yeah. Like, uh, for our... The last few weeks, our water heater wasn't working. My dishwasher still does not dry the dishes. And, like, there's some parts of me, like, stuff like that I can't fix. It, uh, if, like, little things I just fix around the house. But then there's another part of me that thinks, oh, no, like, F this. I know my rights. I should, like, complain to the landlord. And then I instantly get another thought that says, yeah, but I'm worried, like, they'll raise the rent. And these people have had the same rent for four years. I don't want to mess with that. Right. It's weird, like, living with those, like, simultaneous pressures. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. My heat's been like breaking on and off. It turns out we have to set it manually in my apartment and uh, hopefully they fix it, but we're just kind of like dealing with it right now. I had to kick. Oh no. I had to like hit bang inside of my toilet tank the other day to make it work again because it wasn't filling and it worked because I'm magic like that. I was pretty proud of myself, but you know, renting in these kind of places usually is a uh, do it yourself situation, but I hopefully there's no other carpet explosions in Katie's house. For the rest of the lease, because that sounds pretty terrible. And I just saw chuckling when she was uh, describing the sound effects. And she's like, it was an explosion and went zoom. <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, it's like an electric explosion. Yeah, like, zoom. I, I giggled and I thought, okay, there could have been a zoom. Like a, yeah. like a static through carpet. I'll give you that. Yeah. And but, I just can't imagine the smell of like burning carpet for days at a time. No, that's horrible. Yeah. I just dropped in the <laughs> chat. So if you go to mass.gov, look around, they give you all of like the renter's rights that you have just as renters and you can, because uh, Lauren made the comment, you can actually withhold a portion of your rent. So if, if the landlord's not living up to uh, what's in the lease, because sometimes in the lease they say, you're responsible for these repairs, we're responsible for this. So if it's something that the landlord's supposed to be responsible for, you can withhold your rent if you've sent him or her a letter about what the necessary repairs were, and yeah. then like you waited a sufficient amount of time. I think heat you can actually start deducting after like 24 hours or something. It's if you document that the heat's been broken. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, around, with uh, heat is really important. Um, it kind of sounds like this landlord is the problem is that that he wants to fix it himself to save himself a, a, a penny. Dude. Yeah. So yeah. Like, how do you change that, dude? Well, one is to have because you know, like what I was just citing is all these different like rights you're supposed to have. But even like Lauren and I, who like. Like, read up on this stuff. Uh, we do it. It's so hard to know how you actually enforce it. So, mm. like, what I was just describing, you then also have to be able to assess, well, how much now should the apartment be worth because of these repairs, wow. and you're allowed to deduct this. So, even though they say you have these rights in all practicality, unless you have a lawyer, which is why I think we always say, go to City Life, and they'll, they'll tell Life. you how to do it. It's so hard to enforce any of this stuff. And, I mean, a little bit to Herb's point, one of the big things about why we shouldn't have rent control is because if you do have rent control, then the landlords won't fix up their properties. But we're all living right they now anyway. without uh, rent control, and they still don't. Because yeah. it is still an economic incentive of them to do the cheapest thing possible. Yeah. So until like the state like really starts going after landlords that are being neg uh, negligible, and there's actually a clear method for renters to get some sort of restitution, there's nothing going to be able to do. Unless you can find a good lawyer in city life and uh, fight them that way. 
but then we're all just kind of f together. Yeah. So, but but that's why we at least need rent control, so they can't just keep jacking the price up on us without any of these. Things. And we need um, a right to an attorney for all tenants. Yep, just cause eviction for, for all circumstances. I guess Massachusetts <laughs> last year passed it, so it's just cause eviction if your building is foreclosed on and you meet XYZ criteria. So it's not like a universal. Right. Uh, They're trying to further that, though. Yes, they it's are. It's a right to, yep. right to something. Um, at, at some point, we'll have uh, the great state rep, Mike Connolly, on. Yeah, yeah. Big friend of the show, because uh, himself and uh, Nico Elgato from JP... Uh, she's a co-sponsor. They have like what's referred to as like the housing bill, and that's going forward in January, right? That's going yes. to the floor in January. Um, January. 14th. We're gonna yep. We're gonna uh, definitely plug in more as we get closer to it, because we uh, we want to pack it. And yeah. they booked the big room that like you enter in from like the east wing. I don't know, but it's the room that they book when they're gonna have a hearing on a bill where they know a lot of people are gonna show up. So we need to make sure that a lot of people show up to make sure that we signal in an election year, this is something we're watching, even though we all recognize you have two great uh, legislators to the 160. Yeah, yeah, but we got we still got to back them up. Absolutely. Mike's a big dude, but... Mike is a big dude. <laughs> Mike's a big dude, but uh, we still got to help him. And, um, you know, we need this kind of kind of bill to go forward. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to it. Well, we don't have the stats, but we refer to him as the largest socialist in America. He might... Physically. Yeah, he's... He definitely is. Everybody looks up to Mike. There you go. Even Charlie Baker. <laughs> so, um, I stole that joke from him, by the way. Uh, Shout out to Mike. Um, so, yeah, guy. there's that uh, to look forward to. There's that renter's horror story. And it is the end of the decade. So, we have some reminiscing to do. See, I want to be nerdy so bad and be like, well, you know, it's not actually the end of the decade. Wait, what? So, oh God, I do not believe in this. So I, this is literally just me being annoying right now. But because there was no year zero, if you listen to annoying people, the, a decade is from like 01 to 11. Because there is no year zero. Again, th th these are the incels. Okay. I just I just <laughs> like to just back the annoying opinion just, just to be annoying for no other reason. Okay. But we're going to call it a decade. Well, you know what? That's fine. Because honestly, uh, my top 10 list of the protests of the decade fits into that spectrum as well. Because I don't know what happened in 2010. Yeah, I remember when we talked about what we want to do for the show. I'm like, oh, we should do like a year in review, decade review. It's like, I can't, like, we we don't get done like one week's worth of news during this. Like, there's no yeah. way we're doing an entire year. Well, but, no, I just picked my favorite yeah, things. You you actually put in the effort and did a top 10. It, I could have never done that. Why? I have no concept of time right now. Well, um, I just thought of all the protests I've been to in the past 10 years and I, put them um, on a list. Yeah, but see, but you've been at this game longer than I have. Okay. Well, I wonder which ones you've been to. Anyway, do we want to do this? Are we doing the list now? Yeah. Let's, let's do a list. list. Let's do a list. Um, so I'm actually doing this chronologically chronologically because I kind of chickened out and didn't want to like choose my favorite and rank it in order because uh, it's kind of hard to. And in fact, some of these protests were pretty terrible, but they were just like a big deal. Um, so obviously 2011, September 30, 2011, Occupy Boston happened. That was a lot of our introductions to protests. That was where I met a lot of people, uh, a lot of people listening, in fact, as well, um, where Tons of us uh, camped out in Dewey Square for three months. This was, uh, you know, it was going on all over the world. There was Occupy Wall Street. Basically, this was where, like, the phrase, like, 99% and 
you know, the chance banks got bailed out, we got sold out, came through. I think it was called for by Adbusters, but the yep. time was right immediately. Just like it just took off. And we had like a little city built. It was hectic. It was there were laughter, there was tears. Um and I, you know, it, I'm not sure that it accomplished anything immediate in you know the wake of it like after you know everyone got arrested and or december and everything got kind of disbanded but it really set the stage for actually like a lot of like social movements uh in the future because people connected and met each other so many people got activated um you know we got to see who supported us and who didn't um i don't know where you were but <laughs> um, i know that we were there in dewey square so, so uh to finish that thought um because you know occupy wall street kind of has like a you can view it as like a dual history within the left, meaning some people view it as like a failure that didn't achieve its goals because of how it was horizontally structured, yada, yada, yada. I fall on the opposite side that none of this stuff exists in a, in a vacuum. Like right. as, as you were just saying, like, that was probably the most organic just awakening of the left in the United States. Yeah. I mean, you know, the war in Iraq protest and the battle in Seattle in like the late 90s. But besides that, like an organic movement around structural inequality that then gave us the language that we talk about today. That is, again, not in the vacuum. That was followed by Black Lives Matter, the Bernie Sanders campaign and everything going yeah. forward. So. And it's like it, people, you know, there was like the diehard campers there, you know, people that live there, people that were there every day. And then there was people that just showed up and gave talks, people that showed up and donated stuff, people that showed up and supported it. Um, and that was really important, too, for all those connections to get made. And, you know, when I do other activist things to this day and meet people. It's like, Oh, like, Oh, I met you at Occupy. Like I just see people around. It's like, I know you from Occupy. It's just like, it's good to see people still out there. And it's good that this happened and activate everyone. It definitely is in the top. It, it might be my number one because it was kind of like my first. But and So while you were doing that, I was living in New York city where like the, the first um, like base camp was in Zuccotti yeah. park. I was a grad school student at NYU and they were hosting these talks about how do people feel about it. And I would just make fun of the Occupy uh, Wall Street protest, which, As you would. which all my professors loved that I was doing that and like debating like the students because I didn't really have a socialist lens at that point. I was more just an angry liberal. And so I remember like uh, like getting interviewed for like the like the local NYU stuff because they just like loved me bashing these uh, kids. But I was also working in a middle school and we took our middle schools down there. Okay. And I was very fair to like have them like talk to the people to try to understand the point. Okay. But no, I fell on the side of making fun of them. All right. Well, this is the confession zone, I guess, here on Renters Radio. Yep. Sometimes you're on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, if we want to get, uh, now that I've had a beer, a little personal, I remember um, when the bulldozers came and uh, everyone's tents got tossed in them and crushed like our dreams in front of our very eyes. And I, I sound facetious right now, but actually that was pretty hard because, you know, we were really, really felt like there's this energy. There's this feeling where like you can accomplish something, you can do something. And you just, I just wanted like these boomers to get it too. Like, and turns out they don't, you know, like uh, the media completely disowned us, even though they've been calling liberal media had been calling for people to get in the streets about stuff like for years and years because Bush was president. And now we finally did. And all they did is make fun of us. And then, you know, eventually all of our tents, everything got crushed in bulldozers and it hurt, like it hurt bad. And it left a lot of people reeling. And I think there was a lot of burnout after that too. 
Um, a lot of people stayed in the sort of smaller cells that had organized around that. You know, uh, I was involved with Anonymous at the time, so I was doing a lot of like more tech activism. But um, it was it was like a pretty cruel wake up to to see that and I, to experience that. And I know like the the um, I'll call it the militarism of like how they destroyed the camps is something that has maintained and echoed through a lot of different types of uh, like counter protest movements that the police use. <laughs> yeah. That like it's it they have it down to like you wait until X amount of days until like the media cycle has now focused on to something else. You right. It until... was getting cold yep. out. Menino at first there was actually a ban on stopping us from being there because it was a public park. And like after a certain amount of days they could just kind of come and do whatever they wanted. Um and I think there was some concern for people freezing to death. I mean, there was concern about crime and everything. Uh, well, and, and then they'll use stories like that of like, oh, we really need to get in there and clean this up. Because... Yeah, but they would also bring people there. Yes. To do crime. So, like, you know. It, um, so uh, that was a tactic. Like, yeah. Especially like the media going, trying to interview the people who would like make them seem like the most extreme yeah. or like uh, degenerates that just need to be cleaned up and removed. Like, yeah. You, like you hear that language a lot around what happened with the protests. Yeah. But There's yeah, always the right. drum circles too, but I kind of like drum circles. Yeah, drum circles are fun. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So yeah, that was uh, 2011, and then um, then you know we had all these things happen in uh, in terms of you know police brutality and militarization of police. Uh, this is a, I mean, it's not like cops haven't been shooting black people forever, but this is when like a lot of major like cases started to come to the headlines, like Eric Garner being choked, the I can't breathe video and the officer Pantaleo like not getting in any trouble for it. So um, the Black Lives Matter movement started to really kick up around like uh, 2012, 2013, 14. And so one of the next, I think, consider biggest protests in Boston was the Eric Garner protest of 2014. There weren't as many arrests as Occupy, but basically they blocked the streets during a Christmas tree lighting in, uh, in Boston. And actually at the time... Um, it was fairly peaceful considering how later things went. There were some arrests. Uh, this was part of a movement that was happening all over the country. And Deval Patrick was like fairly sympathetic in the media. Um, he was the governor at the time. I don't know how Charlie Baker would have responded. Probably not as sympathetically. Yeah, uh, I mean, th that would have been interesting, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, but this was sort of a, you know, a pretty, this was sort of when people started to really get mad about protesters blocking streets. Like, oh, they're always blocking the streets. Um, but it, it gets attention and it drew attention to like an unjust situation. And, you know, unfortunately, people still kept getting shot. Um, but the I think that the community of people organizing around like the Black Lives Matter and, you know, police brutality and stuff like that really started to connect and pick up and you know, organize some interesting actions. Another one was the highway blockade in 2015. Um, this group wasn't Black Lives Matter, but they were like supportive. They blocked uh, Milton, uh, I-93, and they brought concrete barrels and chained themselves to them um, in the middle of the highway uh, in support of Black Lives Matter Boston. Um, and I think there were 17 arrests for that one. And that's when you really started to hear people complain about blocking traffic. What do you think about that in terms of praxis? So, uh, so now we're going into like tactics. Yeah. And so, the the point of a protest is to be disruptive. 
Yeah. And this is something that um, a lot of people who like, I I'll say normies and what I mean my normies is somebody who doesn't like make their political identity as part of their life. They don't seem to get because we've in this country had such a long time of protests. Like, no, no, no. Like you go Saturday at 10 a.m. in the park, you make a sign, you hear a speech, you sing a song and you all go home. That's not really protest. That is how we've been conditioned. That's not civil disobedience. No, like th th that has been like the romanticized, uh, polished version of what they want us to think about Luther King did. So that's what you do. Like, yeah, you just made change. Good job, everyone. That's not that's not what protests are. That's more of like a fun parade. And so you actually need to be disruptive, but who you target that towards and how well you market it, now you get into like a limbo because. Um, the Extinction Rebellion. They've had some incredibly successful protests in London, doing large-scale demonstrations, uh, blockades in the streets that have gotten a lot of attention and support. But at the same time, they've also done actions like two or three people hopped on a subway car, stopping it. So now you have all these working-class people who are trying to get to work. They're all getting uh, pissed off and frustrated. And now they actually like decide to attacking the protesters. Right. And so like you have to be very careful with how you do it. But I it is a very good strategy when done well. I definitely admire the people who are willing to chain themselves to concrete barrels. Um, they actually had to use like a chainsaw to arrest them um, or high powered saws to like un unchain them from the barrels. And I think that's pretty badass um, that, you know, they were willing to go that distance. Uh, I think that blockades are better, better, can be better used for things like the Weymouth compressor. Yes. Where you're, you know, the only workers you're really pissing off are the people working for Enbridge and everybody else agrees with you and, you know, delay, delay, delay things that are happening. But um, I think that's probably the best case to use it. But I still I still support people doing it. Yes. I, mean, I like it. I like to see it. Like, I, I think on this show, on this platform, we can do like a nice like back and forth. What are the pros and cons? Is this tactful yeah. meaning? Does this action get you your objective? Or does this action actually deter around your goal? We could have the space, but in most other spaces, I'm always just like, no, 100% disruption. I'm not going to say anything. Like, like, we need to be encouraging these type of actions I, yeah, and I absolutely, more than we're trying to get people not to. I encourage, yeah. It basically, I encourage people getting in the streets, hands down. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, no, no need for apologies. I get it. I'm with you. Um, I would like to block some traffic someday. It'd be fun. But uh, actually, it's funny. I made this list and I did not, like, comp I did not think about, like, did this get results? Well, so far for everything you've said. Yeah. Again, so like an issue like the Weymouth compressor. Yeah. That is a very tangible, we don't want this one compression station to be built. Right. And that, that is a very measurable goal. I mean, a measurable goal is wanting cops to get indicted for shooting unarmed black civilians. Yes. And that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, did it get, uh, you know, people definitely pay attention now, which is good. Uh, there's definitely more support and the people have been activated to organize around it, which is really important. Um. The next thing that happened, well, it's not the next thing, but the next thing that I liked was the uh, Boston Public School student walkout um, to protest the budget cuts. And this was uh, one of the first like straight up student led protests that yes. we saw this decade. It was really inspiring. It was like 3,500 students walked out. I don't know if they shut down the schools at the time to let them walk out, but it was fairly encouraged um, by a lot of like people and what year got a lot that? of attention. That was 2016. Okay, so that was before I started like joining Just, any political groups, but yeah. uh, I I remember going to that protest, and I remember. Were you working for BPS? Yes, 
And then I, oh, cool. um, but my kids were 2016. I think I was the dean in elementary school. So okay. like, I like the, the, the little ones, but I remember going to a talk afterwards with one of the high school students and just trying to ask him, like, how did you all organize around this? Cause the fact that it was yeah. like completely student led was, mm-hmm. I, I got national attention. It's awesome and inspiring. And I like to see it. I like to see the kids getting out there. Um, and yeah, that was one of the first time I really noticed, noticed student led stuff too. Um, I, I mean, budget cuts still happened, right? Yes. Oh, and actually that was the round of budget cuts, um, that I was working for a program called the Alliance for Inclusion and Prevention. It was basically, it was like 20 seats. And like, these were some of the most at risk needs within BPS. Like you would have been expelled from other BPS schools to get to us, or you've had, um, a condition or an event that basically has been like, you haven't been to school for a few years, whatever. And so we were like a very kind of like high class type of operation, meaning it cost a lot to run it because we had right. some severe needs. Right. And then I remember my boss is like, yeah, I'm going to a budget meeting. They're probably going to have us like expand because like we've been doing so well for a decade. He came back from the meeting and he's like, yeah, they're cutting the entire program. Oh my God. That's awful. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, I lost, uh, well, like we all lost our jobs for that <laughs> year. And then I got the dean job the following. Still. So, uh, success. How many young kids are now being activated? Exactly. And we can get into that in later on in the list as well. Yeah. So the next one was, this may have been the one where you started getting involved in stuff was the <laughs> free speech rally 2017. That was the first time where I went out with the sole intention to punch a Nazi as, as did about 30 or 40,000 of us. Yes. Um, so- there was 50 of them. And I consider that a great success because they look like idiots and most of them got arrested for punching each other. That was. And so for everyone's context to remember it, that what happened was Charlottesville. Yes. Which, like when I say that phrase, I think that jogs in everyone's mind what happened. And now that same group planned uh, another event like the week after Charlottesville. Right. The Unite the Right. Yeah. So you had this nat- you had this nat- uh, national tra- uh, tragedy of Charlottesville with, the, you know, the Jews do not replace us. Had the hire, uh, got killed. And then the following week, they were supposed to also have that same event here. And so 40,000 people all turning up to counter protest it was like it it killed the right. And like one of Richard Spencer's uh, quotes from it was that Charlottesville was a mistake because of the massive backlash that Boston demonstrated. Yeah. Yeah, that one felt pretty good. I remember going and, you know, seeing a lot of friends from Occupy kind of running back and forth between sides and making fun of them running back and, you know, and uh, these guys were. I mean, we, we've, we've, you know, talked about them a lot. I think Rod's actually watching now. He made an entire documentary on the people that ran up in Boston. Um, like, and uh, they continue to just do their trolling stuff, but there was some pretty, I think Augustus Invictus was going to be there or he was there. I, I vaguely remember there was a lot of like all right, like serious Nazi people. And uh, yeah, a lot of them they got arrested camp. for punching each other and shouting out breakfast cereals. Because nice. that was like, the, and they'd, they'd say, I am a male chauvinist and I do not apologize for my creation of Western civilization or something. And really, it's just like, it looked like a really bad frat. It's a bunch of guys who just can't download Tinder for some reason. Yeah, right. Guys who cannot get laid. Yes, Invictus was at the May 7, 2017 rally. Thank you. Um, as well as a bunch of others. Uh, that whole thing was pretty dumb. Uh, but I really did love seeing it felt really good to have like an army of counter protesters on our side. And like, we, we were awesome. We had ladies there. We had cool people. Oh yeah. You know? Like, and so you went to like where 
the this was the common. So yeah, so you went to the common first, I think, just listening to your story. I went to where the march started, and then I remember uh, Tito. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so because I, I I was filming it also, and I just right. remember yelling, "Yeah, Tito!" Yeah. <laughs> As one does. What, what, yeah, as, as one does. I, I do Tito. the same thing every time I see Tito. You yeah. know, it's basically instant reaction. So so you were there, and in fact, you had a sign. I did. Do you want to read my my excerpt from what news BuzzFeed? Yeah. So I was looking up uh, looking up uh, like articles on this to refresh my memory, and lo and behold, it's Evan George, a thirty year old Dorchester resident, carrying a sign that read, "Heather Heyer is Boston strong." Okay, so I'll talk about that. <laughs> Pass me beer. <laughs> so I, I don't. I think... love it. I love okay. it. I didn't even have a sign. I was there with my roommate and his dog, and uh, I would just have like you know the dog kind of scared. So I made this massive them. sign. I had had the high was the purple letters, uh, blue and yellow for the Boston thing, the Boston strong. And then I originally I had this massive two by four. And then as I'm getting on the T, somebody who could clearly tell I'm going to the march was just like, oh, buddy, like the cops are going to take that from you. So I remember just having to like carry yeah. the sign and then I found a stick. But basically, <laughs> I attribute, um, see, I, I don't want to say I had this passing. I'm going to say had this life to what was actually my activation moment. Because right. I very, you know, clearly, as you can tell, I've been reading up about this stuff for a while, but I just would kind of do things solo and not join any groups. And I remember playing Overwatch in my room like live streaming on my laptop what was happening when I and then it, like they broadcasted that somebody just got hit or run over and I remember thinking like oh wow like I kind of feel like a piece of shit right now that <laughs> I say I care about this stuff but like right. I'm in my room playing Overwatch so then I started to be a little more active went out yada 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 I'm here talking to you so nice yeah so this was your Occupy basically it, yeah. it was in my activation moment yeah well it's a, it was yeah. a good one um, I, it, I think it was for a lot of people like once you start seeing 400 yeah. people carrying torches screaming the jews will not replace us yeah if, and talking if, about how they're proud male show yes yeah. i mean breakfast if, cereals if you are not politically active right now this is not me shaming you but that for me was a moment of like okay clearly can't be on the sidelines right yeah. now yeah, I remember covering that a lot, too, with the Young Jerks, and uh, it just being kind of mind-boggling that these people would show up, that these people just, like, existed in the yeah. first place, like, um, and, you know, it actually took a lot of, uh, you know, one of the best resources to, like, learn the history of this stuff is actually uh, Rod Weber's documentary on Vimeo, um, The Oppressed Majority or something, So they called themselves. Uh, he made a really good background on, like, the history of the alt-right in Boston and how it, like transpired and the other protests that they organized we'll get into the later ones but it's the same people they just can't you know they were like united against marxism or resist marxism boston free speech changing their names this is kind of the, one of the first times they really showed up in boston like and had this huge response um and that was you know that was a pretty good day i liked that protest oh, yeah. that was a great day that was like they got arrested and we didn't I Everybody mean, went and got chicken tendies it was great i like that you, you <laughs> kind of started to frame the conversation around like how do you measure wins that was a win. More of them got hurt than us, and that was cool. That not the same that, for I mean, a lot that, of other protests. Yeah, but. I mean that on a small level of it, if you want to just uh, use bodies as, yeah. as that account. But the fact that then the that entire like I don't know rise of the right, whatever they want to call yeah. themselves, they had to cancel all of their other yeah upcoming things. Like that's a massive. They, yeah, they look pretty stupid, and they got pretty nervous about it. Um, so that was a good one. That is probably in my. If, I'm doing this chronologically, but that's probably in my top five. I did it. I, that was a good protest um, or counter protest. Um, the next one was March for Our Lives in 2018. And that was like 
80,000 people marching to, like, protest gun violence. Yes. That was huge. And did that follow Parkland? Yes, that okay. followed Parkland. Um, there was a bunch of school shootings going on, and this was another um, student-run, uh, or at least young people, school-affiliated-run uh, protests. It was I, mostly student-run, because I remember going and seeing a lot of kids. Yes. Like, a lot of kids. And uh, there was uh, people speaking. There was a huge march uh, from, like... I think they started in Roxbury and they marched up to the common once again and there were speakers and it was just a huge turnout. Um, I remember like music and dancing and also counter protesters. So I didn't see any counter protesters. I this was another found time the counter protesters. When I was like marching with the march itself. Yeah. No, I go straight to the common, meet, yeah. up, meet up at the bandstand, figure out what's going on. I usually actually just hit up my buddy Greg. Because he's always like tracking the counter protesters, and then we can go make fun of them and keep an eye on them. We actually were concerned they were bringing guns, so of course we went straight to that. Um, as one does. As one does. Uh, so we found them. Uh, I remember one dude. I think he was like from militia, some militia in New Hampshire, that just had like a "suck my dick" sign, just prominently. And he had like you know this like military fatigues <laughs> on, and I'm like, man, this guy has never gotten laid. And like, but he had this like, and he is so angry about. He's it. so angry about it, and um, turns out I had a friend that knew him, and I, he actually maybe got fired from Comcast when he got called out. Um, he worked for Comcast up in New Hampshire. I forget his name though, but but yeah, no, it was just like it just was so apparent how out of touch and like awful these counter protesters because they're the same alt right people that were doing the free speech rally. These are the same kind of people, a lot of the actually same people, and um. You know, to bring a suck my dick sign to a march that is like led by children trying to like not get shot at school. So like, who are you? So, so for me, um, I have a lot of critiques of the Internet and how I think it's changed, how like people like do normal conversation and like our normal expectations of one another and how we talk. But when I see things like that, that to me is somebody who you clearly are online for 12 hours a day and you're just memeing right now. Like, you almost view this like you were on a message board, and now you're going to post a GIF yeah. just to piss everyone off. They have you were so detached from any empathy or like relation that, like, you're actually experiencing something, like, visceral and real in, like, the natural world. Yeah. That for you, th there's no longer a disconnect between the virtual life and, and your real life. You, you, like, you were mean. Like, what are you protesting? It, like, it, it's, a, it's a, exactly. Like, <laughs> like what? And, and, and probably at some you're level. Like, no, that, I want kids to get shot. Like, that's kind of what it looks like. And it also looks like, you know, like, oh, I just want to piss people off. And, like, there's, like, kids with, like, little kids with their mothers there. And everyone's yeah, just, like, but, but, Because, again, shame. they, and, you know, I use technology. So I'm not saying it's because and, of that. But it, it's somebody who, like, you have lost any connection to another yeah. person to the point that, you think this is like a message board and like, this is fun. Yeah. Like, oh my God, dude, people were so pissed off. That was so funny. <laughs> you have like, your Pepe flags. A lot of it is like, on it's them. almost like a mental health issue. Like it has to be at some point. I don't know if it's recognized by the DSRM or whatever, but yeah. no, that person is just, you've lost your connection to the natural world. Yeah. And you know, we joke about them not getting laid, but uh, I also, I make that joke. Cause I know it hurts them. Yeah. But I also wouldn't want them to get laid. Yeah, just just be pleasant. Actually, hypothetical question. If having sex with one of these Nazis stopped them from being a Nazi, is it morally okay? Uh, I would say no. <laughs> like, well, one, one because... Like, it, it, that works, I mean, you know? it really like, doesn't like, work like that. I don't I mean, think so. Yeah. It's not really how Don't it works. sacrifice yourselves for that cause, ladies. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, no. It's not going to work. But, you know, it's... Uh, I think that that's something they advocate, actually. 
Oh, that's why. Get laid. We just had sex robots. Just go with the robot. Know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, there's a lot of people out there who don't get laid, who don't turn into Nazis. So I think there's some deeper problem there. That's true. But um, yeah, so that was another one with, you know, I was there actually, I was very inspired by the huge mass of people. Uh, I think it was a cold day, but I was mostly watching the counter protesters because that's kind of. It's your jam. I like just like, I know, like we know each other. It's like, dude, you suck. Like, there you are again. Oh, you're still out here, huh? I think this was the one that I almost got impaled at. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah, there's, like, that blue wheel group, um, and they were kind of being, like, kettled out away from the common at a certain point, and one of them, like, punched a cop and and ran out of the circle, and he had, like, an American flag. He wasn't aiming at me, but he just kind of was, like, charging with it in, like, a spear or joust, and uh, I had to do, like, a... uh, A matrix, Yeah, like a matrix move to avoid it, and I was like, oh, I just almost got impaled. Okay. My lucky day. Um, Glad you're okay, but I would love to see like a third person's know, perspective of it because like I'm sure it was just like the flag was 20 feet from you, <laughs> and you're just like, whoa. No, dude, we were in. Like, Yo, you already see like, me dodge that. We were on like a small street, actually. Mm. I know. Glad nothing happened. Yeah, I just find it funny. It was I completely know. something different. Um, well, we'll see about the next time. Um, what year are we on right now? We're on 2018, so the okay. next one is much smaller but much more close to my heart even because I'm talking about the Save EMF protest uh, where um, EMF artists and uh, Cambridge musicians uh, protested a Harvard Square Make Music event to uh, basically highlight the fact that we were all getting kicked out of our building um, and developers were buying out our community art spaces and turning them into condos and office spaces and everyone was upset and how can we say Cambridge supports the arts while they're allowing this to happen? We actually did an entire episode on this last week um with the two organizers of this event we had ben simon and sophia bell uh this was a big protest of don giovanni but it was also like a really great turnout in fact i don't think anyone remembers anything about that the the event that they protested besides the protest uh like i've never been to make music harvard square besides when we were protesting Remember we drew on each other? Yeah. We drew on each other. Herb, do you remember that? When we all drew on each other? Yeah. I actually, I have a great photo of Herb with like save EMF on his cheek. And uh, it was pretty cool. It felt good. We had dance, you know, we had like dancing on the common and uh, uh, Mike Connolly and Quentin Zondervan spoke and as well as many others, Jarva played. Um, and so that protest, you know, is is not as big or as many numbers. There were no arrests. It wasn't like a huge, it, but the action itself was like, I think very meaningful because it, it got a lot of people together and it got a lot of focus on this issue in Cambridge and, uh, you know, it's community building really, but unfortunately we don't have EMF, but so we got a new alliance. We got a new alliance though. And we're, the, all of us are still here holding it down, fighting for artists. And, uh, I would love to have like some kind of like save EMF reunion rally somewhere. Let's go disrupt something. I'm down. I know. We can work on that. <laughs> that was a good day. That was a good day. So now we're on, we're still on 2018. We are on the, oh no, we're on 2019 actually. This one was interesting because this is a corporate run protest. Well, worker run because this was the Wayfair walkout. Oh, okay. Wayfair was selling bed furniture to like ICE detention facilities or so something. I know a lot about the behind the scenes of this. Oh, yeah. Because one of the lead organizers of this was a DSA member. Okay. I'm Makes not, sense. Yeah. I'm not going to dox her because I don't know how public it is. But basically what happened was <laughs> this individual, or this group of individuals, 
um, figured out very obscurely, just looking at like a random code of like who they were sending money to, that they were sending money to one of the concentration camps that run by ICE. And this person brought it to um, my friend's attention, and then they're all on Slack. And then she just dropped in the Slack, oh, we just uh, figured out that we have a contract with ICE. How does everyone feel about that? And then it just kind of spread throughout the company, and um, I guess I already said she, she's a fantastic organizer. She, she kind of knows how to handle this. She gets everyone together and says, yeah, like we should have a demand that Wayfair stops doing this. So they circle around a petition. That's like one of the first steps. So you get everyone to sign it for buy-in, and then um, an entire group of you, you go to your boss. You say, we want to present to you with this petition. We want you to stop doing this action. Now HR starts freaking out because... Yeah. They They've already called the media. It. So they get everyone in a room together to try to address it. And I think, like, maybe the CEO spoke. It was just like, you know, like, we share your values. But, like, this isn't really anything to do with us. It's just the different contracts. And, you know, like, don't you want the kids to have beds? Yeah, right. They, they, I they, they, that. that was a little, like, talking point they tried to use. Yeah. And, oh, again, luckily, um, my friend, like, a uh, very talented leader. And, and then she just like, no, like, this is our demand. Like, making sure that the group yeah. doesn't uh, go back on it. Like, this is our demand. Are you going to meet this demand or not? Like, just yes or no, black and white. Right. Like, you don't let them off this gate. You make them make a concrete decision. And they refuse to do it. And then they said, okay. And the next day, or I think it was maybe two days later, they organized a walkout. She had no idea how many people were going to show up. Uh, it was like well over a thousand people came to the park because it came uh, became a very visible display of people who are not comfortable with us running concentration camps on our southern border. Hmm. And um, I know she spoke. Some other people spoke. And did they stop selling beds to ICE? I know. No, I'm trying to see. <laughs> made it. We did not research the results of these. Um, it definitely got a lot of attention. And it was, it's probably the only thing on my list here that's just like a company protest. And I would love to see more of that. So I, I don't think they stopped. Or I think yeah. they questioned doing future orders. Right, right. And and I remember uh, just one thing she uh, was speaking to me about was how, like, you know, HR, like, they would try to pressure her a little bit. And, but, but she knows that they can't stop her from, like, organizing. Like, it, if you figure out that someone's trying to start a union, you can't kick them out because they're trying to start a union or anything like that and so what they would say to her is oh well uh you're in violation of company policy right now right which to, I, I, somebody who doesn't know that makes them think oh like i could get fired I mean, but but she knows you can't get fired and then she just brings it back to oh you're saying my job's uh like being threatened right now oh no not of, of course not because she knows what the law is right so right. Like, you always have to know what your rights are when you enter these situations and i don't know this might be a good time i DSA is a good place. We have a lot of good uh, labor organizers who know this stuff. So if you were thinking about starting a union or you want to know what your rights are as an employee. Or if your company's doing something real shitty and you want to make, yeah, make um, folks think about it and get, you know, get them to stop. Hit me up. I can actually <laughs> the right people. They'll tell you what your rights are. They'll show yeah. you the steps you follow and you can uh, have a real impact. That's right. Um, so uh, we did get a correction. Standing Rock was a company protest. The canary in the coal mine. It was a test to see if a private company could use a public police force to take over a private citizens' property. Um, we didn't talk about Stanley Rock. Was it in Boston? Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have. If this was a global protest movement, I would have chosen different ones. But um, no, this is Boston. Well, in Cambridge. Um, the but, greater Boston area. Yeah, greater Boston area. Uh, Though, shout out to Standing Rock. That was pretty amazing. Um, and 
there's a lot of like amazing activists who've been involved with uh, the anti-pipeline movement. We have ours here mm -hmm. in Weymouth, but um, this is a Boston-based based list, so. Um, I can't believe that was Well, there were Standing Rock protests in Boston. Okay, Rod, I know. There were Standing Rock protests in no, no. Boston. <laughs> Rod, you make your own list. Yeah, you can make your own list. In fact, we can open up the phone lines in a minute if he wants to call in with his... Uh... Wait, no, no, because that's going to cost us way too much time. <laughs> Not yet. No calls yet. Rod needs to come on the I'm show. the call. We'll get you on the show. Um, um, all right, so that was way fair. Yeah. I feel like that was 2019. That feels like it was four years ago from right I know. That feels really long that feels time ago. Such a that long was this time year. Ago. You know what else was this year? What? Straight Pride. That I remember. Oh, God. Straight Pride. We were talking about how, like, you know, it felt really triumphant when those same alt-right people showed up and we showed up and there was a lot more of us and everybody won and they looked stupid. This was different. These people made, like, a super happy, fun time, whatever. Same people uh, made this, like, float and march through the streets. And they ended up stopping over near, like, a government center and everything was kenneled weird and there wasn't that many of them and there was a lot more of us and there were just too many cops and i took a picture of it and there's at least 200 police officers in a row yeah and they were like wicked aggro they were like driving motorcycles through us and like beating people up and pepper spraying everyone for no reason with no orders to disperse and no once again another another uh that just kind of went to show, like, this was different. This was different than a lot of protests that I've been to in Boston. Yeah, a, a lot of people weren't prepared for how, yeah. uh, the, what the police response was going to be. And I know one of our, like, the older members of DSA, but, like, you know, he's kind of just joining now. And so he met up with us at the protest. And I spoke to him afterwards. And he just, like, that was, he's, like, kind of bug-eyed. And he's just, like, that was the first time I've ever seen or understood that the police viewed us as the enemy. And, like, this incredibly intense, like, the police aren't watching these fascists go throughout the street yelling all these homophobic, just horrible remarks. What they're watching is us to, like, harm us. Yeah. And, and, and for, like, to see him kind of get that connection was, like, uh, pretty powerful to experience. But, yeah, I've never seen that many police in one setting. I know Boston alone... I think it was like $700,000 in overtime payments. It wasn't just the Boston police. It but, was like Quincy, yes. Somerville, uh, Salem even. I it think was basically like an open there. call for yeah. every police force. Oh, hey, do you want to make um quick 500 bucks an yeah. hour? You, you get to pretend you're in Call of Duty for like a bunch of people who all we were really doing was just trying to yell over them. Yeah. Like that's what the strategy was. Yeah, people was were peaceful. I mean, people were saying there was like bottles thrown, whatever. I didn't see anything. Um... I, I I really saw the violence being started by cops. It was like kind of, I wasn't even really trying to, you know, in, in my situation, I didn't mean to put myself in that kind of harm's way, actually. Um, though it was good to witness it because like, it just really, you know, after the <clears throat> free speech rally, you know, we all walk away, high five. Like these guys look like idiots. They all got arrested. We did it. This was the opposite. They did not get hurt as bad as us. And that sucked. Correct. If you look at this in like a battle way, which I, at the end of the day, when you go through that, like gut feeling about it, when you're there, you kind of, I always get very like red blooded about it. I'm like, I wish that we'd have heard a few more of them, you know, like if we we're all going to get hurt anyway, for no reason. So I view this as a perception battle. Yeah. And I look at how it's covered. Um, right. So like, it did end up, yeah, it, it, the, the coverage at first was not good. The, the media did a 
I mean, they did a horrible job covering yeah. it. So, like, I'm just stipulating that. They made it seem like these right-wingers were more, like, goofy than serious. Which, had, which like, was all today. That was their game. Yes. And, well, I remember, like, uh, this is great video of, like, three of the organizers of it. The super happy, fun, fascist, whatever thing. They're being interviewed by uh, reporters. And this one reporter, this really, like, like the Boston accent, is like, so what do you say to the people of Boston that we, they have to waste taxpayer dollars because you three guys can't get laid? <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, like, the other argument. I mean, I feel like we should always show up when they do things. I don't think that ignoring them works. I know there are people who disagree. Um, but I think it's important to make sure that they know that like they're not welcome here um, and to come out in mass. They just didn't need the cops to come out in that much force and be that violent. That was really the big, the, the worst like bad guys in that situation were the cops. I felt like that day. And, and I know there was one specific officer and right. Um, Dan Alicky, the pepper might, spray cop, Boston's who, own pepper um, spray cop. Because as part of the police union, they don't have to keep their body cameras on during anything overtime. So according to the police, even though they have literal spotters on the roof filming this while it's going on, anyone yeah. who's gone to a protest knows this, you can just point up and look at them. Right. So it is being recorded, they just don't release it. Right. Um, so there is no footage from the police perspective, but plenty of people on our side who know it's good to have cameras there for, like, for our own protection, there was just like this one police officer who was involved in like six different pepper spray events. One of which was like a, a senior citizen, this older woman who ended up getting it like directly in the face. I saw complete carnage when people got pepper spray. And Honestly, I saw like reporters with cameras, like coughing, hacking, like, you know, like it was, it was, uh, it was absolutely a mess. It was, it was, I was like, a lot of us were pretty traumatized seeing it. Like we were really worried. We were really afraid. We thought that, you know, like I remember Rod getting like, like I thought he got stepped on, got arrested. I looked behind me. I don't know where he is. Like where'd my friends go? I finally found Greg was like, we were hiding and kept running and it was just, it was nuts. And then, um, you know, he had done the documentary, uh, the oppressed majority. And then, uh, that covered the same groups that were putting on these protests. And then now his, his YouTube channel actually got censored after that as hate speech, which is really frustrating on top of it because that does not help. Yeah. We saw the guys from Unicorn Riot, Unicorn Riot get pepper sprayed. And, you know, we're like me and Sophia are like running back and forth, dragging people around the corner to safety, dragging people's stuff. I was picking stuff up off the ground. I don't know who it belonged to just giving it to the medics. If it was like medical equipment, like it was, it was just a mess and it was like really chaotic. And there's also people just walking by with like baby strollers just trying to like go shopping or something and clouds of like pepper spray, like flowing by, like it was super dangerous for everybody. Yes. And obviously there's been no, I think like one statement of like, Oh yeah, the police are doing an internal investigation to see if there was any overuse. of yeah, force. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not going to get too specific right now, but there wasn't yeah. a single uh, Boston politician that did a good job. Like even like bringing up, was right. there a, a lot of police violence at this? It was something that uh, Rachel Rollins, because it did get a lot of publicity, she quickly dismissed the charges of, of the people, which is good. She did in that. Except some of them, but yeah. Well, in that circumstance, didn't she do it for all, for everyone for she, that one event? But but there didn't been... do it for Rod. Okay, he got banned from Boston for a while and had to go contest that. Okay. <laughs> that was like this other crazy side thing that happened. It didn't make any sense. Um, uh, but that was actually that judge. It wasn't Rachel Rollins. It was that judge well, that actually... Well, she could still dismiss the charges. No, she couldn't. That was a thing. The judge, like, went against it and then actually arrested a lawyer in the courtroom. Oh, was, yeah. Do you oh, remember that? It okay. was crazy oh, after yes, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that judge, who I think killed the guy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Allegedly, I think he did, like, you can't get us in trouble. No, no, no. Um, Judge Sinat, yeah. I'm pretty sure he, sh- I think he shot He someone. shot somebody. He shot somebody, you're right. Yes. Yeah, like, how are these people judging? Decades ago, allegedly, you can't sue us if I say allegedly. <laughs> I will look into it. Yeah. Um, no, pretty sure he killed the guy before. But anyway, yeah. I forgot all about that. I, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And then, uh, I guess they, they went to the Supreme Court, and uh, then, um, uh, like it wasn't alleged. He did shoot a guy. <laughs> he shot a guy. Just, you know, we yelled at we yelled at uh, Nazis and got beat up. And uh, this judge sitting there shot a guy. Like it's bizarre. Um, Beautiful system. Yeah, the system works clearly. Uh, but I guess it went up to the Supreme Court, and then um, some charges got overturned after that. But it just took a lot of fighting and it was a bunch of BS. Um, so that was like honestly, it's in the top ten list, not because it was a great protest. It was actually a shit show, but it was pretty eventful, and um, yeah, you know, I remember it pretty well, pretty fresh in my memory. And the last one, last but not least, before the bonus one, is the climate <laughs> strike in 2019. This is another student-led one against the environment. I think Greta Thunberg kind of started this whole wave of like people caring. Did I say her name right? Um, so I listen to Democracy Now every day. Amy yeah. Goodman, she would call it. Uh, originally, it was Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg for like two years, but then I think everyone got corrected on it, and now whenever she uh, mentions her, she says uh, Greta Thunberg. Okay. Well, that's what it sounds like. Okay. Well. So I trust Amy Goodman with my life. So, but I'm gonna keep saying uh, Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg. There we go. Well, I mean, it's not like she was like there in Boston at this protest, but this was like seven thousand people coming out and this big climate strike filling up uh i don't know where they go this time i lost my <laughs> i lost my link it was right in downtown it was, you, you walked by it and right? um there were over 20 arrests and i remember the boston police tried to get the reporters to leave so they right. wouldn't film them arresting kids 20 arrests of kids because it was a lot of kids yes and um, i thought it was great i thought it looked pretty good i was like happy for these kids because i think they were getting a message out no, it was. And again, for people who aren't like kind of familiar with this, what, what ends up happening if you hear, oh, there were 20 arrests of children at this protest, it, it's not because the kids were like being wild or being aggressive towards the police. So then they had to arrest them. What ends up happening is at, people, at these events, people declare it is my intention to break the law. Right. It is my, and, and you and you have police liaisons and the police liaisons communicate that to the police and saying, listen, these people over here are here with the intention to get arrested. Right. Because, and, and now it's kind of like up to that police officer. So how are you going to handle this? Cause we are, we are right now telling you, we are not going to listen to your authority. We are not going to respect the private property of this building that is telling us to leave. We are going to make a statement. We are coming with the intention of being arrested. Right. And, and you do that to keep people safe. Yeah. And you make sure that, so now the police officer knows, so now it's not somebody going wild. It's now, okay, so now the police officers can decide are you going to run and tackle these kids It's like the Jane ground. Fonda every Friday. Yeah, basically. It's like Jane Fonda Fridays. I and think she's a climate striker, too. She is. She gets arrested. Yeah, constantly. she gets arrested every Friday. It's like, and she gets arrested with famous people, like different, it's like she has guests to get arrested with every Friday. But that's not in Boston, that's in D.C., but it's still pretty cool. Um, so yeah, climate strike's great. I, I love to see more of this action from young people. Uh and hope that they can keep doing it safely and that you know climate change is such a big issue like i don't even know how to tackle that one to be honest that's like outside of the scope of the show yes but i support everyone doing something about it like it's something i like talking about and by like just like because of 
how it, it's something called like a meta concept that it's it's hard for any of us to actually process what it means to have a hundred uh, foot sea level rise already baked into the system right over a few centuries like what does that actually tangibly mean that like that is too meta of an idea for the purpose of this show micro boss and politics we got that yeah yeah I, let's keep it local i've already yeah geopolitical uh effects are but weird i mean I don't know. go look at the flood maps of boston yeah climate like... change is gonna hit us pretty rough so uh, it's like it's important that people are doing something about it. And it's important that young people keep just getting in the streets for any any reason See, whatsoever. I already life. have the idea. I'm going to create a scuba diving industry that goes through all the underwater buildings as like a salvaging. Know, it's kind of it's kind of like tourism. <laughs> so I, I'm getting ahead of the game. That's TM. It's copyrighted. It's going to be scuba diving through all the buildings in the seaport district. None of them followed any of the climate recommendations. <laughs> and we're just going to just go through the lobbies underwater. Stupid idiots. <laughs> I just got to um, buy, buy a house somewhere. It's going to be beachfront, beachfront property. Yeah. Or sell it as beachfront property or something. It's going to measure it at a certain distance. I don't like swimming that much, so Spilling I don't think up. I can do scuba diving. Three generations, beachfront, right there. Yeah. At. Boxborough. With that nice acidic yeah. ocean water. It's going to be disgusting. Uh, it's going to be like Revere Beach everywhere. Revere. <laughs> <laughs> I will beach. not swim in Revere. I love Revere Beach. Um, was that the last one? Yeah, that's a lot. Okay, so there is another. This is not a singular event or even a protest, but I do want to shout out the Freedom Rally. Because one of the biggest wins we did have this decade I know there's a lot of problems with how it's been enacted and uh, issues with it is that we did get legal cannabis. We got medical cannabis and then we got recreational cannabis. And that was huge. What? Say it. Our producer's laughing. He's coming to the mic. So what happened with the free rally? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> like, 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 I don't want to get into it. Oh my God, dude. Totally like, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can like, yeah. Okay. I know, right. I know. Freedom right. rally sucks now. That was a great no, I don't know anything about this, by the way. I, how, is, how is it that they can afford but the man Red Man one year, dude, and then like the next couple of years they lose, they go down in one day, fucking. Anyways, whatever. Yeah, uh, no, you're right. The Freedom Rally was glorious in its in its prime. I enjoyed going to it. Was uh, this like the 420 thing at the Common? No, every year? yes, every year. But oh, like, it September. wasn't on 420. Yeah, okay. it wasn't on 420. It was on 420. It was during oh, September. It was like September. Yeah. Every year for 20 years they've been doing it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And in 2016, we finally got weed legal. And I give Freedom Rally and Hemp Fest, as it was called, and Mass Candy Organizer, a lot of credit for just continuing to act, be activists, continuing to push that forward because we did win in, in the end. Because when we fight, we win. Ah, there you go. And so, now, that's and, the city life motto. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, acts. you know, that's it's not one singular acts. event. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not a singular event, but uh, we did have a win there in this decade, and it was always one of my favorite big events on the common. So, except recently, it kind of sucks, but it happens. Damage has been done. I can't wait to ask all these questions off air. Because <laughs> you two definitely... Herb's dying laughing. He's not on camera, everyone. So I can't wait to figure out what happened at this thing. I didn't know there was... Um... You've never... What? Oh, I'm not cool. I don't go it's to the weed cool. rallies. It's not cool, cool even. It was cool. It was cool, I guess. <laughs> it was... You couldn't really avoid it. I don't go you to could the smell it for miles. I don't go to the common that often. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been going there since high school to the Freedom Rally. I loved it. Um, all right, I actually, uh, we need to take a break. All right.
Yeah, we actually started relatively on time today. So All right, we'll be back. Yep, we're going to take a break. It's Stay on the line. It's, gonna go go, the it's all going to go uphill from here, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> You're speaking first, right? Uh, no, he has a video. Oh, okay. Being an elected official. I'm embarrassed because what is clear to me is that we do not have the resources in Boston or the other cities across this country, based on my discussion with other elected officials, to meet the basic needs of the people of our cities or of our country. It's not that we don't have the resources in this country, but it's that the resources have been seized, have been seized essentially by the corporations of this country, and particularly the military-industrial complex. I also don't believe, I don't believe that the people who are elected in Washington have the will to return the people, the, this country's resources, to the people. I believe, as Dr. King said in 1968, it's time for us to go to Washington, D.C., and to not leave Washington, D.C., until the elected leaders understand this, this is our country, not the country of the corporations. The world that we see here in this country and across the globe is not the world that should be. We can create another world, but we have to seize control of our government. Thank you. Part of believing that another world is possible. We're back. That was um, recently deceased former city councilor Chuck Turner. Um, saw that he passed this year on Christmas Day. Um, he was a city councilor for, I believe, over 10 years and um, a fighting spirit that activated a lot of people in his community. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about that now. That yeah. was actually his uh, speech at the DNC in Boston in like 2004. Um, so first, just to highlight that and like just listening to his uh, rhetoric and how he was just speaking, that was 2004. Yeah. Uh, what he was just stating is basically what you would hear Bernie Sanders at AOC. And uh, I'm definitely going to bring back to this a little bit later about kind of like how ahead of his time he was in, ter in, in terms of like what he was speaking and advocating. Mm -hmm. Like that speech that he just gave then is something that just became mainstream now. And that was 2004. Right. And yeah, I guess that's true. And, and Lauren and I talked about, you know, because we definitely wanted to mention uh, Chuck Turner because he was such an influential figure, especially for left politics in Boston. But he's also a figure that, I guess, at least speaking for me personally, I think maybe I shook his hand once. I think I maybe uh, saw him at a few events. As you know, I'm kind of just like beginning my own activism. And so he wasn't somebody who I really had a, a personal connection with. And right. so like, you know, how do you cover someone that, and, and we know his history. We can maybe talk a little bit about it. Yeah. But I know people that we both know who have like very directly been inspired by him. Uh, Works with mentor. Them, yeah. And I, I didn't ask um, this friend of mine, so I'm not going to say his name, but he's a very, um, he's a young progressive activist uh, from Roxbury. And so he posted just very quickly, kind of from his own words. Um, I can't believe our freedom fighter, Chuck Turner, has passed. He fought for our community until the end and never gave up hope, even when they tried to put him away. He just came back swinging, proud to call him a mentor and a friend, truly going to miss this man. Uh, rest in power. And, you know, like the legacy that he had on a lot of the activists in Boston, like cannot be understated. Absolutely not. I mean, he was a, he was a community organizer and activist for, 50 years, at least uh, 50 years ago, 
Um, one of the things that uh, struck me because it, it was a fight that didn't just affect, you know, Roxbury and Dorchester and, you know, South of Boston, it affected Cambridge, it affected Somerville was the fight against all the highways and the uh, inner belt and um, the highways that were going to completely displace people. They were trying to put, put up, I believe it was during the Vietnam war. Um, most of the time they put up highways is when there's war. Uh, that's actually why they were invented um, and really led the charge for like operation stop and a bunch of movements that uh, helped stop the inner belt and a few other freeways from being built completely through poor communities, completely displacing people and bringing communities together, not just Roxbury, but also Cambridge and Somerville and, you know, other areas that it was going to hit JP, a few others. Um, and, you know, that kind of fighting the literal bulldozing of, you know, people's homes and then later on becoming a huge affordable housing activist who just like told it like it is, uh, when it comes to, you know, the fact that people are being displaced out of all kinds of communities. And, and, and he inspired a lot of, a lot of friends of ours as well. Um, you know, I've been seeing a lot of posts. I also didn't know him personally, uh, you know, just, I guess an oversight. I don't know. Never shook his hand, never met him, like you said, but it's really affected a lot of people that I respect and admire and have, have also worked with and supported. So uh, I just want to take a minute to uh, kind of honor that legacy and passing. And, um, you know, there were a lot of, well, what annoyed me was the fact that, you know, his record is somewhat tarnished due to being, you know, some bribery thing that a lot of people don't believe was even intentional or real. What was it like a liquor license thing where he became, you know, got convicted and then kicked off the city council, which was later overturned because that was illegal. And it really sucks that all that kind of like tarnishes a legacy of somebody who did so much work for the people. Um, and, and I'm trying to think of how much, because like, as you were saying, so the, the actual charges was, and, and this is a person who for decades was paying out of his own money to fund projects to do community development, to have an office actually in Roxbury that like people could go to. And so this is a person who put up hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own and his family's finances to do this. And what ended up happening was the FBI was conducting an investigation on somebody else and just happened to rope him in. Right. And there was a video of him speaking to somebody where there was no clear evidence of what transpired. And then... They said that he accepted a thousand dollar bribe, which even which, even if the, uh, the man did, and like I'm hesitant to even talk about it because it, it like it might tarnish his legacy in the eyes of people who don't know him, but for the eyes of people that do know him, it doesn't. Right. And so talking, which is what we've been seeing a lot of, but it just I guess it it, it it's upsetting that that always has to yeah. come up. Um, for um, what the FBI said was a thousand dollar bribe, which again, even if uh, he did accept it. This is money that he was would have just then just used within his community anyway to fund right. the things that he was doing. Right. And so when you just get to label somebody as accepting a bribe, what you think of is like the state police who make two hundred thousand dollars, fudge their overtime payments so they can make another thirty. Yeah. They're not plugging a community center in their uh, area. Like right. they're doing it. So I don't know. They can go buy a second yacht for their third divorced wife. <laughs> and. Something else about how ahead of the time he was was uh, back to that 2004 speech. Yeah, was he was also one of the very few politicians speaking against the war in Iraq, and that's something that doesn't really get covered. Like it's kind of out of our consciousness a little bit. Might just uh, no, that's just you. 
yeah, well, I was going to say, President Company excluded, was how silenced any opposition to the Iraq War was. And so if you hear about especially a person of color speaking against American foreign policy in 2004, and then they just happen to get roped in by the FBI and yeah. investigation of somebody else, yeah, that's a little suspect, and the yeah. burden is more on them. But again, this will, um, it doesn't, uh, take away from what he did like as we were just saying in the 80s he stopped against that ma uh, major highway expansion which you know as we discussed in the previous episode he brought communities together to stop it it wasn't just stopping it in roxbury it was stopping it in cambridge yes. it was stopping it in somerville and it was stopping it in like places that you know i'm more familiar with for instance and i appreciate yeah. that and you know <laughs> something that um i think i brought up on another episode is like how highways were used as a tool of gentrification yeah to like specifically carve and cut out the white and the black areas and the fact that because of what he did and you know boston absolutely still has racial segregation but because of like what he did he he stopped what would have been the much larger boundaries for us to face so it really right. can't be underplayed how much of an impact that has and especially um as i first mentioned how ahead of the time he was like uh, the Globe just points out, you know, like he was an unorthodox figure who was an activist while in office, and that is something that, I liked him. And, 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 I was watching a lot of videos. I like the guy. Yeah, and, and again, that's something that you know, like AOC right now gets a lot of uh, praise and attention for. Is like it's a it's it's using the office in a different way, right? It, because we are so used to people just oh, you become a politician, and now maybe you try to get a good amendment in here and there for legislation. No. He was somebody who used the office as a tool for organizing, and you finally get to see that coming back now with kind of the rise of the left. But like figures like Chuck. Um, you know, figures like, uh, I'll say, Bernie Sanders, uh, people who kept this flame alive for decades throughout the war uh, in Vietnam, throughout the 80s uh, with the Reagan and Thatcher era, throughout the Clinton bullshit in the 90s, throughout the war in Iraq, and now to inspire that next generation, it really can't be undersold. And so, like, like you hate to mention the minor stuff that... Yeah, but that's what's in the that's what's in the headlines. Yeah, like literally, because, and and you know it it sucks, but because they want you to hold like what's called floating negatives is like right. oh like maybe he did good things, but he has this really bad thing. What oh, do you, so, what so, do you call that actually? I'm actually curious. Floating negatives. Yeah, it's a way of like getting in people's heads to kind of create like a oh well, I can't say what he did was good because there's like another equally weighted bad thing, which like by any knowledge of uh, what his career was. It doesn't seem like that was an equally bad thing at all compared to the no. good things this person did. But I just, is, that is a tool also to. Yeah, that, to that, so th that's a tool that, especially um, like a, li a liberal media that is trying to, what looks like balance, what in reality is to kind of obfuscate what he did because they can't champion it because a lot of the policies that he was championing, they were against. Right. And you can't say, like, oh, we've been on the wrong side of this for 50 years. This person was on the right side. Let's, uh, Let's just Why mention this one thing because it doesn't serve their interest to do that. No, what? I know, but I just wish that people would just do that instead. Yeah, but that'd be nice. Um, he was definitely a great figure, and so we wanted to spend some time talking about it. Yeah, so you know, uh, condolences to his family and everyone who knew him, yeah, and um, I hope that you know his legacy lives on, and people continue to lead the charge in city council. I have faith they will. Um, I really hope some of the uh, new council members kind of follow his lead, which yeah. is using the office as a tool for organizing. And this is not me saying 
uh, he's equal footing to Chuck. I, I know that was a slogan of Jeevan's was I want to be an elected official, not to start my organizing, but to be a better organizer. Right. And again, it, it was people like, like, you know, I, I don't know how Chuck identified politically or if he was actually use... green rainbow. Oh yeah. He's yeah. part of the rainbow coalition yeah. with uh, Jesse Jackson. But, um, you know, like he like keeping that flame alive through what was decades of just getting owned. Like, yeah, you you really can't minimize like and just go on social media and see the amount of like left activists in Boston yeah. who attribute him to kind of like their own organizing, their right. own focus. So right, we all have different inspirations, but it seems like this man left a huge mark on Boston and on the future of like the left in Boston to come. So you know, rest in peace, Chuck Turner. And uh, I hope that your family, his family is doing well and that, you know, people continue to carry that torch. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. And in the spirit of Chuck, and actually that clip you picked was perfect because what he kept mentioning was we don't have the resources. So now pivoting, <laughs> so you want to talk about resources. Let's talk about the MBTA. And, uh, and I want you all to remember that that word specifically, resources. Resources. So this technically is not a sexy tax segment. We've talked about the gas tax and congestion pricing. And there was so many things in the last two weeks. And the more they With talk MBT. about it, I'll keep saying it. But what this is going to focus on is the general manager of the MBTA. Because we've heard for the last few weeks, everyone knows, MBTA is in shambles and needs more money. And this is the universal consensus. Like the Boston like Business Council, they say, yeah, it needs about a $13 billion investment. Um, Charlie Baker is saying, yeah, it needs at least another $9 billion. Some groups are saying, no, this needs about another 40 to $50 billion, spread out over a few decades, obviously, for massive improvements. So this isn't even really that much of a uh, contentious issue. However, they are still, there is just this side of the media that has to say, oh, you know what? They don't need more money. They just need to manage themselves better. Uh, and this is what you've been seeing in uh, the Globe. Like sometimes they'll have an article that's about so it. dangerous. And there was another MBT article for the Globe where it took the four the last word of the fourteenth paragraph to mention, and they need more money. <laughs> Before that, they mentioned maybe they should have fewer meetings. And just stuff like that. And Charlie Baker's been getting hit left and right the last two weeks, saying like, oh, Charlie can't fix the culture of the MBTA. Mr. Fix-It's failing to fix the culture. And that is all a distraction to, uh, for anyone who's saying, no, 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 we shouldn't give them more money. They just need to manage themselves better. And we've played some clips about it. I've talked about this before. But then I got to hear the actual general manager talk about it. So this is like the person he has put in charge of the MBTA. So now let's listen. Where does he fall on this? Does the MBTA need more resources or do they need to be managed better? General Manager Steve Poftak, he told us safety's always been a priority at the MBTA. The T has always said that safety is our top priority. I think what this report tells us is some of the resource, we are not giving enough resources to, to safety and that some of the processes and procedures are not right and we need to get oriented around that. The capital acceleration work, much of which is focused on modernizing the system, does provide a, an important contribution to safety, but it also stretches some of our resources really thin and we need to do a better job of making sure we have enough resources to do the preventive maintenance, kind of the emergency maintenance work and the capital appreciation and we're doing that with this okay so far so good how many times do you think he said resources in that uh 
intro. Was that three? Three or four. I think three he started four? with one of them. Okay. And I always suck at doing this, so I'm going to do it now. This is from Radio Boston, our own Tiziana Daring, who I steal from a lot, so thank you, Tiziana. Okay, so... You so come on the show. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Or have us on your show. Yeah. That'd be cool, too. So this is uh, Steve Poftak, current general manager of the MBTA. He just mentioned very clearly that they need more resources for safety. And the reason they were highlighting safety is this comes out of this big report that got published probably two weeks ago at this point. It was commissioned by Charlie Baker. And what they found was the MBTA has a safety problem. Simple. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> because the MBTA is, <laughs> no. is, since they don't have more resources, what they've been doing, and he's going to get to it to another cliff, is spending more resources towards what's called capital improvements and not enough resources on safety. So the reason he keeps saying safety is to try to put in people's minds, no, no, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. But as he just laid out, but we do need more resources. So now Tiziana, Tiziana, who does do, I'll say, a good, okay job for most of her interviews. Now she presses him. We're not just going to say resources anymore. We're going to say money. Just to be very clear to everyone, when we say resources, we mean money. Don't so, mean bushels of wood. So, yep. So, we don't so, mean so clip number two. Uh, let's mean see how money. he responds when just very directly asked about the money. Lay people's terms. What money is supposed to be coming from what kinds of sources over the next couple of years? And do you have the right amount of money in each of the types of money that you need? So, money, money for day to day versus money to buy new things versus money to work on safety. Where is it coming from? What's supposed to be coming? And do you have the right stuff in the right places? I believe we do right now. We have, um, you know, we have over nine billion dollars available to us uh, to spend on capital over the next five years. And when you say capital, specifically, what do you mean? It is um, things other than operating. So okay. building, you know, building new stations, buying new cars, uh, putting in track, that type of work. Uh, we have a, a, a and that, that's a mixture of state funds and federal funds and some of the some of the T zone bond money. Our challenge on the capital side really is can we spend that amount of money? Uh, first of all, because you, we, are, you know, we are very aggressively building an organization that can kind of project manage that level of spending. And the other thing, as we're seeing, is it's disruptive. Um, we're Let's going say from. Say more about that. In FY11, the T spent $400 million. In FY19, the T spent a billion dollars. Okay. In FY20, we believe we will spend something close to $1.4 billion. So we're essentially taking the amount of money we spent in FY11, and that's the diff- That's going to be the difference between FY19 and FY20. That is, um, that is just a, such a significantly higher level of activity that in order to do it, we have to do things like we've done diversion work on the core of the system, on the orange line and the red line over the fall. So that's when people get on shuttle buses rather than on the train tracks because you've got to be on the tracks. Because we've got to be on the tracks. Uh, and we know it's inconvenient. We appreciate our customers' patience, but we're also able to get a lot more work done and really pull in projects that would have taken on an overnight, you know, that potentially would have taken. Okay. First, he said the word customers. So I'm going to get to that at a different site. But what he just explained, he then just switched it because when deliberately asked about the money, he said, I don't know. We have enough money. We're good. Which, as I've said before, everyone knows the MBTA needs more money. Right. Everyone acknowledges this is a funding issue. And now the amount is how the much. The operating side. And so this is when you get to reveal what this guy's job really is. I found it funny listening to this interview where he first he was very clear we need more resources. Right. And then he switched it to, oh, no, no, we, uh, we have enough money. We're okay. What else is resources? Yes. And so <laughs> it, that leads me to believe one of two things. 
One, he got a text during this interview that said, stop saying we need more money. <laughs> Say you're fine. Or the second thing, which is kind of like what happens to Trump sometimes, which is he very clearly, someone 10 minutes ago just spoke to him about this topic. And so he has like some nouns in his head. And so now he's going to try to speak through it. So it's possible that Steve, he's like, oh yeah, resources. Wait, like, should I mention resources and not mention it? Oh no, no, I should mention it, right? Okay. And he mentioned it and then he remembered, oh wait, crap, I can't say it. Oh, I can relate to that. Because ultimately, <laughs> this is what this, this guy's job is. His job, and the reason I think there's been eight general managers in the past 10 years, or like seven general managers in the past seven years, his job is to go out there and say, we don't need any more money. Everything's fine. We just need somebody who's going to come in here and just do some can-do spirit. And that's all we need. So it's like bad PR, basically? Basically. this The role of this is to be a shield. So that Charlie Baker, politicians, can then say, oh, you know what? We're going to fire that person. Yeah. And we're going to get someone in here who can make this operation run right. And this is whenever you hear any element about, oh, we got to fix the culture. Oh, they have a management problem. Those state employees they, keeping oh. their feet up. That is 100% it's a distraction true. to say, please, God, don't have us raise taxes on wealthy people. Right. And so his entire job is to now kind of look like an idiot after saying, oh, we need more resources for safety. We need more resources for safety to then say, oh, oh, you meant money? Oh, no, no, we don't need any money. We're fine. Uh Herm, that's with number three. On the operating side, uh, the T has the money it needs to operate the system as it is now. There's a number of things sort of coming down the road in the longer term. There's, a, I would say, a very aggressive commuter rail vision um, idea that there's going to be a longer term funding conversation around that. So I think there, there's a conversation to be had down the road, but we have the revenue we need to run the system as it is now in, in the FY20 budget cycle. We're just in the process of developing the FY21 budget, and that's something we will we'll re-examine. Okay, as it is now, is anyone listening <laughs> happy with how as it is now? You mean on fire? Yes, I mean on <laughs> fire. Um, there was a commuter rail derailment yeah, two days ago. Yeah, random derailment. Yep. Uh, um, the MBTA just released like their um, most reliable, unreliable lines. They all suck. Does, uh, Guess which one is the winner? I was going to say, you know what it is. Also bright and green line. So, and, <laughs> and again, I'm waiting to the end to tell you how much this person gets paid from our tax dollars to do this job. Because his entire job is to say, everything's fine. We don't need any more money. Oh, no, no. We have enough money to run it as it is now. Well, yeah, that's not what the conversation yeah. is. Nobody likes how it is right now. Right. That's the problem is that we need to improve it. We could say, oh, we could just have a, a shitty public transportation system. That won't cost us that much. Yeah, of course it will. Thing is, it can get real shitty before people stop using it. And and you saw an optic, so, like, when, like they, when they raised fares, what was that, maybe four or five months ago, there was a drop. Yeah. Because it was so unreliable. Yeah. And you've now raised fares, so it's just like F you. Yeah. We're not gonna take it. And and Especially was, if it's something that I can lift to in quicker time, I would rather spend the money on a more reliable thing than riding the T for an hour that might catch on fire. Yes. And again, his job is just to say everything's fine. Which is why when I first started listening to this interview and he kept saying, Oh no, we need more resources, I just like, Oh my god. All right, good for you, man. Doing something different. No. Um, Herb, hit us with that final it's clip. Cold. We've had our first storm. There uh, have been some troubles on the red, the green, and the orange line in the last couple of weeks. 
the report on Monday says both the tea is safe and there's a safety culture problem at the tea. What do you want to tell listeners who are like, am I safe? Is the train going to be there for me tomorrow? Do you have what you need? And if not, what do we need to give you? And do you understand that this is hard for me? What, what do you what do you say? You know, I, I first, I, you know, I want to express my appreciation to all our customers. I want to assure them that the MBTA is safe. I take the MBTA every day. Members of my family take the MBTA every day. That said, this report has some very sobering conclusions, and we are committed as an organization to addressing them. We are putting the resources in place to address them. It is not a resource issue, um, and we are also committed to addressing in improving the safety culture here at the MBTA. He effing said resources four times yeah. in the first question. And they're not resources is not the same thing as money now. Apparently so not. So what are resources? Apparently it's and, like Lego pieces. Yeah. <laughs> but, and uh, Lauren looked at me when he said it again, customers. Yeah. Because this is, I think now the third individual we found, they took one macroeconomics class. Maybe he has like a MBA master's of business degree and it just oh, look at you just shitting on those mbas over there. oh they suck um, <laughs> if anyone's listening don't get a master's of business it, it, like it's called because you don't learn any tangible skills like it's called a network degree right so like if you you go to that school so then you can like talk to kids and be like oh your uncle's rich tool like two <laughs> two cool let's start a business together oh, so yeah. like you don't, you don't learn how to run a business you just learn how to build connections to people that have wealth so then maybe you can get that, that person's aunt to fund you. Right. That's all an MBA is for. Don't get an MBA. And as this person uh, kind of illustrates, the function of the MBTA, the, fun the function of public transportation is not to make money. When you view people as customers, then what you're saying is this is a financial transaction. And we are going to give you a service and you're going to pay for it. You are a customer. This is a market. This is what we've talked right. about. And this is how this person views this. And that's really not what it is. Public transportation is the function of improving the welfare of the public, meaning it's not the goal of the MBTA to make money. And so when you put people in these positions who their entire worldview is based around, no, no, there are consumers uh, and there are clients. We're here fulfilling the service. They're going to pay X amount for the service. This is what this is. They completely lose sight of what is the function of public transportation. It's public good. Yes. It is not there for profit. This is not a consumer relationship whatsoever. So the, there is zero reason outside of our Neolithic bullshit climate that if somebody ever used that language in an interview with me, I would say, oh, you fundamentally don't understand what your job is. Yeah, right. Because that is not your job. Your job right. is not here to make money. Your here is to improve public transportation. Right. How much do you think this guy gets paid from our tax dollars to do this job, to go out there and say everything's fine? You know what, man? We just have that can-do In Boston, attitude. this is a six-figure salary. I'm picking up a number. Oh shit. 115? 115, Herb. Give us a number. 115 and one. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Ballsy you there. are not even half of what the are person is. Are you serious? Is. Shit. The salary for the general manager of the MBTA is $315,000. And it is this person's job to go on interviews and tell you everything is fine. Everything is okay. We don't need any more money. We can run this system as is. Well, this asshat. <laughs> everybody has their price, and you know. He's getting overpaid. 
I know. to go out there and say, <laughs> oh, man, you know what? We're going to go on a spirit retreat in the weekend. We're going to get to know each other. Wait, what? They do know. that? Yeah, they do spirit retreats. Huh. You never done community building in, in uh, your jobs? Uh, we have uh, potlucks and yep. parties with the Yankees. This guy started that. Potluck Fridays. Yeah. And they're just like, that's worth $300,000. Yo, MBTA, hit me up. I'll do this job for $300,000. <laughs> to say everything's fine. And the other thing they tell you is you have to take public transportation. That's nice. So word. that way you can be able to say, my family takes public as Well, I'll just live on one of those new luxury condos in, yeah. right next to a T station. And uh, man, nice work if you can get it, I guess. And and, and that's how I, I want to close up this year. <laughs> the third, I love the phrase, asshat. We took one semester of a class and is just there to either, again, either lie, because you have to be lying right now to say you don't need any more money to improve the MBTA. No, the T needs so much money. It, it's not a disputable concept. No. Right now, the, the- And I really wish they'd stop putting it on the backs of the workers with this whole culture bullshit, because you know what? I take the T and like, honestly, I'm- I the the people that work at on it are like that I see oh the, are kind of the least of my like worries the the entire like, lie right. of um like public employees are more uh well they're less efficient than Absolutely private not. employees because their jobs have more protection and guarantees is one hundred percent bullshit no it's not yeah the, it's there is every single study which has ever been done about a public employees versus private is that is not the difference no there is no productivity level it is people trying to use market language to squeeze as much out to justify mm -hmm. not funding things to the appropriate level that is what it is yeah. it is this person's job to go out there and say we're fine yeah oh really 30 reports just came out in the last three weeks including from the business community and you know what? saying it, we need billions and of you more know dollars what? it's honestly not like you, you see stories about trains catching on fire derailings you don't really see stories about MBTA employees, like, you know, conductors and people on the trains, like, doing anything wrong. It, it is incredible, incredibly like, rarely... To, like, it's actually, like, tons of equipment failure. Yeah. Um, and they're doing the best they can. It is rare to be human error. Human error, like, absolutely happens. Yeah. I'm not saying every public employee is great. Again, right. go look at the state police right now. <laughs> their public employees, like, you want to say that they're doing a great job? Absolutely not. I'm not saying every MBTA worker is doing an incredible job. Of course, you're people who slack off. Right. And people who slack off in private employment, too. It is complete BS to try to say that there's a distinction between the two. The entire point of that argument is to get you to say, you're right, we don't need to raise taxes on wealthy people. Everything's fine. Let's make a gas tax instead. Yeah, let's, oh. just, do a, let's just do a gas tax. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk more about TCI. We have so much great content coming for 2020. Oh, 2020 is going to be awesome. 2020 is going to be our big year. It is. We're just getting started. Yep. Um, see, I got to use the line all of 2019 doing like a lot of the political work that I do is 2019 is all a warm up for 2020. Now we actually have to deliver some big things in 2020. Okay. We'll get there. Oh, and so much stuff happened the last two weeks. Very quickly. Property value in Boston is $168 billion. We should tax it more. <laughs> we actually did pass a spending bill. The reason of the hang up was they were trying to cut corporate taxes. Minimum wage is uh, slightly increasing in Massachusetts because it will eventually. And everyone's complaining for no reason about it. Yes. And um, minimum wage only helps local economies. There's too much. That's too much for me to go into right now. Just minimum wage helps local it's economies. It's still not enough. Um, and the tax rate is dropping. Again, at a time when we need to raise more revenue. A, if you make $60,000 a year, congratulations, you get, I think it's an extra $3 a month. So well, I... the, the reason for this drop, all the people who make the money already are in the millions. They're the ones who actually get to 
uh, rake this in, but now it goes to 5%, the, uh, the state income tax. Wait, but that doesn't really help me because I don't make 60K. No, again, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll get maybe 10 bucks extra a year. Millionaires and billionaires who live in Massachusetts are going to get to pocket a lot more. That's the money that we actually need to fix the MBTA. So right. I, I don't have to listen to Steve a year from now. So everything's fine. <laughs> We're good. We need more resources. Oh, you need more but money? I don't know. No, not money. No. You don't need money. I swear somebody texted him during that. Or Yeah, that was pretty weird. I don't know what else resources means. Oh, and I, I take too much from Tiziana. Miss Daring. But it, it just um, love to press on that. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't you just say resources? Can you explain to our viewers what you meant by resources? Bushels of wood. Yeah, just just hay barrels. Yeah, just dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, 2020 is gonna be a great year. Did you want to do New Year's resolutions? New Year? You mean New Year's revolutions? Oh. Uh, so my like, I always like end the year. So people who get to hang out with me tomorrow, I'll be like, what was your best and worst moments of 2019? That's always my thing. I'm having a hard time thinking of New Year's revolutions, except until when you phrase it like that. Because now it's actually not about my individual changes, which is normally New Year's resolutions. I'm going to go to the gym more, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no, so that got me thinking a lot more politically, which excites me a lot more. Yeah. Um, I... Um, I haven't brought her up yet. Um, I'm close with somebody running for what was Kennedy's seat. Ooh. It would be great if Hassan Lecky can get elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, we'll probably have her on at some point. We will have her on. Because yeah, um, she's amazing. She's amazing. I think that might be like the big win. There's definitely That's very specific. It is. Um, and also, right along with that, um, Anna Callahan, another uh, personal friend of mine, DSA member who's running for um, the state. Can we have her on, too? Absolutely. And she, has a, she also has a podcast. Oh, we can do some cross-podcast, oh, crossover. We can cross-pod. Cross-pod. Um, I would love <laughs> for her, her to win OC, getting some more people to, uh, who are willing to actually like fight, again, using the office as a function of organizing, not using the office in and of itself. So that's mine. Uh, you too. What do you got? New Year's resolutions? Nada. I let things happen naturally. Yeah. If I'm going to go to the gym, it's just going to happen. You can't I... improve on perfection. What are yeah, we right? going to do to get better? Yeah, you, no. You tell me to no. read more? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> They're not bad ideas. None of those things are bad ideas. Maybe stop yelling into the mic so loud. That'd be a good New Year's resolution. Right, yeah. But um, New Year's resolutions, rent control. Can we do it this year? Structurally, no. Okay. Well, I mean, technically, yes. If it passed the um, the Mass House and then passed the Mass Senate. Which isn't going to happen this year? No. Okay. Maybe, but no. Well, okay. Possibly. What about but, right to uh, tenants protection? Right to counsel? I don't know. I'm, I'm too skeptical of right now anything. You don't think anything housing is going to happen? I think if it does happen, it'll be the things that we don't like. Okay, maybe you're right, but uh, I'm going to try anyway. But I think this is going to be the... Housing is the first, second, and third issue in Boston. Yeah. As if you're listening to Renters Radio, you know. So this is what will be... Fra the 2020 races, state races, will be framed around housing. 
it just will. And so the more that uh, the left has a unified position of this is what it means to have a left policy in 2020 in Massachusetts. It means you are for rent control. It means you are for um, just cause evictions or protection of just cause evictions. If that is like the mantle that's held, we will get people to sign on to that. We will get more than just two or maybe five house reps that sign on to it. Well, thanks for breaking my heart. I don't have any more reps. These things take time. They take time. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? We here at Renters Radio are happy to uh, continue the fight to make that happen faster than Evan expects. That would be great. Um, that would be awesome. What's, right. your, what's your New Year's, New Year's revolution? I think I'm going to try to like, aim to brush my teeth twice a day. Ooh, that's a good one. Twice a Ooh, day. Herb. Don't pass out before doing it. You know, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I'm just going to start there. Um, so I don't want to, I don't know, plug somebody who's not a sponsor. Want to change your life right now? Quip. Quip. The the mic quip. The the electric toothbrushes you can get. Fifteen dollars. <laughs> they'll mail it to your house every three months for five dollars. They mail you a new he- uh like little head. It's on a two minute timer with little pulses. Quip, quip. Can you sponsor us? I, I, would, I, I, would, I, I would feel weird like being you know the co-chair of Vermin Supreme would be happy because t- toothbrushing is mandatory under Vermin Supreme's platform. That's right. So that's correct. That's that just correct. reminded me. Yeah, like uh, you know, it's important. So I, it is. I feel like if we got a sponsorship from Quip, I'd be down to try this contraption out. Oh no! Whatever. Now brought to you. If by... I don't pass out first. No, it's great. <laughs> Second big toothbrush thing I've changed in my life, and I don't know how hygienic this is. <laughs> Brush your teeth in the shower. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, my shower is so not hygienic. See, I just figured that out, though. It's so awesome. Because now you get the nice hot water on you. You're not looking that weird. Like... It depends on your shower. Just, I my... don't even keep my toothbrush in my bathroom. Oh, that's bad. That's that how bad my weird. bathroom is. <laughs> okay, but Herb, I'm, like, banging on toilets. Herb, so I'm going to get you so. equipped. <laughs> I know, I, I know roughly where you live. <laughs> yeah, just right here, just Herb in Dorchester. Yeah, you'll find them. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Everyone out there, get a quip. Yeah, that's it, man. Small, uh, small D's. What's done. your revolution, though, Herb? Besides, I'm, I'm gonna revolt against tooth decay. Okay. <laughs> God Wait, damn it! I'm on the theme one. here. No, I have a good one. I have a good one. <laughs> what about building up this as a radio station? This is built as a radio station. I know, but what if, you have to pick about, a name. Yeah, like the actual station, and we have like a streaming channel twenty four seven, and a lot of different shows that are being produced here. We have a few now. Yeah, like, but that, that's like like I don't need I don't need the change of the year to have that goal in mind. I mean, you know, like no, I, I know that's why revolutions <laughs> are dumb, but revolutions are fun. Yes, all right, yes, we'll we'll, we'll have this place broadcasting by. Mid 2020. All right, 2020 is the big year. Yeah, it is. It's a big year, dude. 2020, we will be fully funded by Patreon donors. Yes. And, shout and out Krim. to our. Shout out to Zach. Thank you. It's and going uh, a long way. Rob. And uh, Rob. As I went on the Patreon, I realized that you are a Patreon member. Really appreciate it, Bob. And That's Evan awesome. Patreon donating from a card that doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave my own a Patreon. Ghost, a ghost Patreon. <laughs> An expired um, credit card. Yeah. I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> But, so we right now have, uh, so if you go to our Patreon page, it says very clearly as our first goal is to have 10 people that they can't be related to us. So. Yeah, that's why my family doesn't donate to our Patreon yet. Because I made that goal 
specific. I just I want ten people that not related to us to uh, to help support it, and then you get to have a personal like online Skype call with us. You can even be a guest on the show for that Skype if you want. Hell, we'll we'll up the ante here. We can make it a call-in session. We can be we like can. our guest, the patron. And then maybe that episode. Oh no, to plug it to make people want to do it, we will make it public for everyone. Oh yeah, I was, yeah. The paywall stuff is confusing. Um, so yeah, our our Patreon is like patreon.com slash renters radio. Uh, one of my goals this year is to get a better logo. So if anybody out there knows anything about like design no. or like logo design, uh, just hit me up. Help. Um, I made this on the fly with some pretty basic tools, and uh, I have no artistic ability. So, um. Logo designers, uh, that's one of my goals this year is to really spruce that up a little. And uh, also just ramp things up, more consistency, more guests, 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 guests. I have a whole list of guests we want to get to this year, so I'm excited for that. Very quickly, even though I know we're winding down and now we're just uh, we're having fun. Two strike updates. One, oh, yes, the actually. Harvard Graduate Student Union, the strike is not technically over but they have agreed to resume um work basically after the new year there are three major things that they were pushing for which was for the health benefits pay raise and third-party arbitration have not been met yet some other demands it seems like they've negotiated with i guess a federal mediator was brought in and they're having talks again on january 7th so everyone stay tuned for that please keep supporting them um, but it seems like after the, the new year, they will be regaining work. That doesn't mean that they won't pick up the strikes again if their conditions aren't met. So that was one. Second uh, strike that we've been highlighting with the Weymouth Compression Station, the Mass Teachers Association, the MTA, which is um, a large union of teachers in Massachusetts, they have been supporting them. So they actually went out to one of the protests, which is great, I think, during a segment uh, I talked about how this is going to be around schools, as everyone knows from like the West Virginia teacher strikes and the teacher strikes across the country. Teachers have incredible political clout in terms of the movements they get behind. I don't think like the teachers aren't striking right now to stop it. Right, but they're still showing their support. And and I think the teachers signaling that will then make the parents more aware of right. this issue because again, this is going to be a compression station, which even from the company's own records say will have negative health effects for the people of Weymouth and this energy again is not being used but in Massachusetts it is being pushed so that this energy can be consumed elsewhere I think in Canada so yeah those are your two strike updates yeah and you know what it's really good to see that the Weymouth compressor fight is still going on I I see every day there's like new people out there supporting them there's still people at those picket lines mm -hmm. or those blockades people getting arrested almost every day um so if you know, we'll do it. We'll actually should probably do a show to update on that at some point. Yeah, have Nathan go. back on or somebody uh, from there to kind of give an update on what the progress on that is, as well as the Harvard uh, student strike. Have you been out there yet? I have not. I have been. We, we're bad activists. I live in Dorchester. <laughs> it's been like every day I was gonna go. It was like snowing or something happened. I don't know. I keep making excuses. Hopefully they get what they want. Yes, let's see. And what again, else? the strike isn't officially over, so... Yeah. We don't have a timeline for it yet. No, but they will be resuming work after the new year. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Uh, what do we got? Any events to plug? Yes, actually. There you go. Even though I didn't want to start thinking about the future until after New Year's, 
Which is tomorrow. Which is tomorrow. I couldn't help but look at my calendar. <laughs> uh, January 5th, this Saturday, I am going to start my Bernie work. Luckily, there's been some great uh, DSA members who have really picked up the torch to try to promote Bernie Sanders here in Massachusetts. We run, um, we're basically like the only operation in Boston right now if you want to do canvassing for Bernie because the Bernie campaign is being very strategic. It doesn't make sense for them to highlight Massachusetts. But if you want to come canvas for Bernie knocking doors, I will be at 100 Washington Street in Dorchester at 1 p.m. January 5th, knocking doors for Bernie in Dorchester. And also, if you would just hop on uh, the D Boston DSA page, again, uh, I think we do three or four different canvassing events every like that like that weekend. So you go to Austin Brighton, I think we have something, uh, Somerville. But then also we have our own dialer, we have our own calling. So you can also dial with DSA. Dial with DSA, that sounds cool. Hey, Evan, did you know, by the way, also, on February 1st, over at Deep Thoughts, they're having another Bernie uh, show. I did not. Yeah, dude, our friends over at Deep Thought are having a, a Bernie uh, support show, oh. whatever you want to call them, man. And it's going to be cool. It's going to be Bernie-based. And if you're in JP February 1st and you like Deep Thoughts and you like music and you like Bernie, you should stop by. Absolutely. We had a good time at the last one. Oh, yeah, that was that fun. That was fun. Um... I also didn't really think about the new year until, uh, I guess, after New Year's. So uh, I don't have any events to plug. Um, actually, there is a few. There are a few things. There, I believe, on January 10th, there is a uh, Chuck Turner memory memorial. Um, but I don't know where it is. But I definitely marked myself interested. Um, oh, I have to sneeze. Close. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so done. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm falling apart here. I really just need this new year to happen so I can feel different. I just mentally can't get past the block yet. So like once New Year's is done, then my brain every, will kick off. Every year I feel that way. And every year the, the ball drops and the clock strikes midnight. And I'm just like looking around like, I don't feel any different. So <laughs> uh, January 10th, celebrating the life and legacy of Chuck Turner at the First Church in Roxbury at 10 a.m. I'll say that again. January 10th. 10 a.m. Uh, Friday, First Church in Roxbury. Just type in Chuck Turner on Facebook. Go to events and you'll find it. Um, we can actually post it just on the Renters Radio Facebook page because I keep forgetting we have that power. Yeah, we, we need to do that. I actually, yeah. We need to do so that. I'm doing that now. Thank um, you. If you can. You have more power that. than me on it too, which is like kind of weird. I haven't figured out how to fix that yet. <laughs> you can like share things that I can't. It's weird. Bam. Okay. Yeah. It's All on right, there right now. Them. Also go check out our new cover photo. So it looks really cool. Oh yeah. You like that one? Yes. I think that captures at least my personality pretty good. He's got I'm, his hand entirely. I'm me with my eyes shut. I'm like just look. there looking at my computer as always. Uh, and uh, we got Lee Nave, Rebecca Lee Nave Jr.'s head. You know, it looks like I'm interrupting Lee, which definitely <laughs> did not happen in the photo. So if anyone just crops that and says, like, Evan mansplains to Lee. No, though, is not what happened. I have an explanation. Let me explain this <laughs> I'm going to gonna stop you right there. Yeah. That is not what happened. No, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. That's how you always start a mansplaining session. It's adorable you think that, but actually... Oh. <laughs> I get the caught. hair in the back of my neck just went up. <clears throat> I know. I... I get yelled at for mansplaining, but I do it to everyone. 
Right. You you don't discriminate in your mansplaining. No. Okay. And generally, I, I use. I mean, this this is a show where you listen to me talk. So you, the listener, right now, can't get mad at me. No, no one's mad at you. It's okay. No, I'm just <laughs> really mad. Okay. But no one's mad at again, you. in public, normally I use a different tone. No, you don't. Maybe when I'm talking to you, because I think I'm on the show when I'm talking to you. Yeah. Like, that's a good point. <laughs> we go to Cats, we think we're on the air, just like, yeah. Let's people talk in the about theater the socio-political significance of this. Like, that's yeah, a great point, Lauren. People are so loud. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I leaned over. I'm just like, Lauren, you're screaming right now. I always scream, like, all the time. Um, so another thing, Call to Arts Monthly Meetup, September 8, 7 p.m. Be here if you are interested in supporting the local artist community and helping be part of things like this and keeping uh, the dream alive for artists in Boston and Cambridge and Somerville. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right. We'll take care. Looking forward to 2020. We will not be live oh, yeah. next uh, Monday. Herb is going to DC just to own the town. Herb is abandoning us. Yeah, I'm going out there to uh, work uh, Super Magfest. Super Magfest. It's going to be fun. Yep. So we will not have a live show for that. But we did live shows throughout the Christmas holiday season, so we can take a week off. We might like release an audio to the podcast listeners for that day, but we'll see if we end up doing that. Yeah, I do need to post the special EMF Miss episode uh, on our podcasting stuff, so watch out for that. We will be posting this episode on you know iTunes, Spotify, whatever. But we'll be back in the new year. Yeah, we'll be back in the new year. Extra strong, extra renters, extra radio. Taxes sexy. Yeah, coming for your landlord. Watch out, 2020. There we go. (laughs) Um, But all right, everyone. All right, we're signing off. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Be safe. Have fun. Make Ah. bad choices. Have fun doing it.